Ready? Born ready. Welcome back. It's another episode of your favorite political podcast, Where the Party At? I'm your host, Sava Long. If you can tell and probably hear, we are back in the studio. Keith is here. I got something for him a little later that we're going to talk about. Uh, let's dive right in. Let's dive right in. So, that we're not really talking about Atlanta politics today, but we'll sort of get to it. We're really going to focus on, at least locally slash at the state level, the Georgia General Assembly. So they've been in session since January, the House and the Senate. This is going to be the last episode that we record before what's known as crossover day. That's the last day that a bill has to be passed from one chamber or the other. So for a bill to make it to sine die, which is the final day of session, it has to first make it to crossover day. So that means that it has to at least pass the House or it has to at least pass the Senate. So here are some bills that we're taking a look at to see if they make it across this mark of crossover day. The first one, and let me just preface this by saying I tried to pull bills that I thought you would be interested in, bills that might impact you or someone that you know, um, or just some things that are kind of effed up and you should just pay attention to. Um, so the first one is House Bill 181, which from here on out, I'm just going to refer to these bills as HB or SB. So HB means a House bill, SB means it's a Senate bill. So HB 181 would make Kratom a Schedule One drug. I don't know if you're familiar with Kratom, um, but it is a, I want to say it's based out of like Vietnam or Thailand or somewhere. It's like a spice? <laughs> no, no, no. It's a drug that you can take in powder form. You can take it as a pill. Some people sip it as a tea and it's, so people use it for is pain it, management. It's legal now though, right? It's legal. Like they sell them at the gas station, right? Yeah. They sell okay. them at like smoke so shops and gas them. stations. Yeah, and so it could, if this passes, it would make Kratom a Schedule One drug, which puts it on par with LSD and ecstasy. The big issue is that folks are concerned about people under 18 consuming Kratom. So, I mean, that, you, all you should just do is require identification. Yeah. So, oftentimes what happens is the bill would be introduced as kind of like the more extreme version and then over time, it might get diluted, a.k.a. known as a friendly amendment. Um, the next one is House Bill 191. This would increase the tax on cigarettes by 20 cents. Georgia is, I believe, the second uh, lowest state as far as the tax on cigarettes is concerned. Um, so this is something that comes up in almost every session, trying to increase the tax on cigarettes to decrease people using them. Um, so I think this is just for cigarettes, but 
you can go to l you can go to legis l-e-g-l-e-g-i-s dot g-a dot gov to read the latest version of each of these bills that i'm going to talk about another one this is a complimentary bill house bill 192 would increase the tax on vaping products. It would double it, more than double it, from 7% to 15%. So those are all kind of drug-related, substance-related bills. Pivoting to public safety, um, House Bill 229 would make it easier to recall a district attorney by alleging that they are under-prosecuting cases. And then there's a complementary bill to that, House Bill 231, and that would establish a state prosecuting attorney's oversight commission. So this would be something brand new, and this commission would investigate complaints of misconduct by solicitor general and district attorneys. Um, And then it would also recommend punishments, which could include removal. So... That's a big deal. This is happening across the country, by the way. This isn't just something that's happening in Georgia. Take a listen to this clip of Sean Hannity of Fox News and an interview that he did with the Attorney General of Missouri, who is a Republican who fired a Democratic district attorney in St. Louis. Law and order is something that Americans value, and for good reason, because without safety, life becomes very difficult when you have woke DAs refusing to prosecute even violent criminals and recommending lenient sentences in the name of, quote, social justice, they are hurting their own community. So what can be done? Well, out in Missouri, the attorney general is now working to fire a St. Louis circuit attorney named Kim Kim, uh, Gardner. Now, keep in mind, St. Louis is one of the most dangerous cities on earth. And in return, Gardner is now playing the race card. Take a look at this. While it is true my office could have done more, to say we did nothing is only disingenuous, but it's willfully ignorant of the reality of our court system. We're going to fight very hard for justice in spite of the vitriol, the hate, the racist attacks, the known manipulation of the court procedures to make sure our office fails. All right, joining us now to respond, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey is with us. Sir, welcome to the program. Um, let's Thank you start, for having me on. Let's start with what it is that this attorney is doing, what Kim Gardner is doing, and why it is she should not be holding this position, because what we have is a phenomenon. We have the funding of very weak on law and order uh, candidates being funded being elected to office only because of the money spent, and they don't, they don't enforce the laws of the land, they don't prosecute criminals, and Americans now are at risk as a result. Your thoughts? Yeah, look, this is about the rule of law and justice for victims. I come from a prosecutor's office. I've used prosecutorial discretion to determine whether or not I have sufficient evidence to pursue cases. And that's what prosecutorial discretion is about. It is not an after-the-fact veto to nullify laws you don't like. So if you don't want to enforce laws, don't take a job as a prosecutor. But what we have in the city of St. Louis is a circuit attorney who is illegally So that's St. Louis. You might recall last year there was a recall, a successful recall effort of the district attorney. I believe it was San Francisco. Um, And then in response to this legislation, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis 
um, called the legislation racist and she has spoke out against it. Um, it's primarily, it's targeting uh, district attorneys and solicitors general who are Democrats generally, if you think about who's prosecuting what crimes. Um, so TBD, if this will actually go anywhere, but it's just one to pay attention to. Another public safety related um, bill is SB 44, which would increase the sentencing for various gang convictions. Um, and then you've got SB 63 would eliminate cash bail for certain offenses. And this is interesting. Some of the offenses that would be eliminated for cash bail include reckless driving, drag racing, stunt driving, criminal trespassing, marijuana possession, inciting a riot, unlawful assembly. Dang. So that means if you if you think about the George Floyd protest from 2020, there were people who were arrested in front of City Hall for trespassing, and I think um, they might have said unlawful assembly as well. If this bill passes, they would not have been able to get a cash bail. They would have been they would have had to stay in jail until they were able to see a judge. That is wild. Um, and then the reckless driving, all those kind of drag racing, that's all, this has been kind of an issue that really, I think has been worse during the pandemic or it became worse during the pandemic of folks, just mostly young black guys, but not all young black guys, but, you know, speeding down Peachtree Street, doing uh, stunts in certain parts of the city. Um, but this would this would put them in jail um, and they would not be able to um, be bailed out with cash. So, so um, real quick on, on that bill. So, how, so how does it work? So the Senate writes it, they vote on it and then it goes over. So it goes to a committee. So it's a, a lawyer, uh, a, a, a Senator introduces the legislation. They might have other members of the Senate, who are also signing on to that legislation. It goes before a committee uh, and might receive a, a number of hearings. Then the committee votes on it. Then it goes to the Senate. And then it goes to the House. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, here's one that's um, kind of adjacent to public safety. is House Bill 520, which would offer student loan debt forgiveness for those working in the mental health field. It would also encourage more supportive housing. So we know that there are a number of people who are perpetually homeless, um, folks who might be dealing with substance abuse and other issues. And so this would encourage and promote building supportive housing to help those folks. Um, another bill is interesting. We talk about wages and labor a lot on the podcast. Uh, SB 25 would increase the state's minimum wage to $15. Georgia's minimum wage is currently $5.15. I don't know if you guys knew that, but the federal minimum wage supersedes the state minimum wage, right? So the federal wage is higher. This is one of those bills that I don't think has a shot of making it to crossover day because it's overwhelmingly supported by Democrats and there's no Republican co-sponsors. 
and it's funny you say that about this bill that has like over 20 something supporters. Right. But then there's other bills with just like six Republicans. Right. But and Republicans control both chambers. This is why there's oh, there's redistricting is always an issue. You know, the irony is Georgia has gone blue in a couple of elections, right? So we went blue in 2020, we voted for Biden. We went blue in 2022 with with um Warnock winning, right? So you had a split where you had Kemp won re-election, but Warnock won also won re-election. But if you look at the number of Republicans versus Democrats in the state house and senate, it's not competitive. Right? And so what happens is legislators draw safe seats. So this is a safe Republican seat and it can't be switched. Or this is a safe Democratic seat and it can't be switched. But the actual makeup of Republicans to Democrats does not match where the state really is politically, where voters are. Because mm. I'm even looking at, like you said, the other bill about the cash bill. And even if, so even if the state makes a ruling on it, I mean, different cities and municipalities can still override it, right? Like, no. So, like, right now in Atlanta, we... Atlanta they, currently, yes, has cash bill. Mm -hmm. If this legislation passes, that would be eliminated because it's state law. So then I would wonder how many cities have cash bill. Probably not a lot. In Georgia. And that's what I mean. Like, it's crazy because, like, none of these six Republicans... Or even close to Atlanta, like Delonica and Oh yeah. Well wait Field. till I talk about Buckhead. Oh man. <laughs> um another public safety bill I meant to mention is Senate Bill sixty eight, which would make dog fighting a racketeering slash Rico charge. <laughs> yeah. So you think about Michael Vick, you think about who typically is involved in the dog fighting world. A lot of these public safety bills is locking up black folks and particularly locking up black men. I mean, increased sentencing for those gang convictions. That's one of those. Yep. You know, backdoor. Right. Yeah, you. that's another one. So, yeah, increasing sentencing for various gang convictions, which and also part of that bill is if you are a gang member who recruits a minor and you're caught recruiting a minor, right? It's it's they get they able to prove it. They add on, I think it was like another five years to your sentence. Um, let's see, a couple of other quick pieces of legislation. Um, we've talked about this. Um, remember, Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill. Well, now there's a Georgia version. Uh, Senate Bill 88 would be Georgia's version. And it does not allow teachers to teach or discuss sex-related things without the express permission from the parents. It's easy to pass legislation that says, I'm against this happening. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder to pass legislation that says, here's the problem and here's how we're going to actually address it. Yeah. Because saying you can't do it doesn't address it. Exactly. exactly. So yeah. some related bills to that is Senate Bill 140 and Senate Bill 141, which would restrict surgery and hormone therapy for minors. And Senate Bill 141 would ban puberty blockers for minors. So if you are a parent of a child that's transitioning, 
I, I don't know what you do in that instance. I don't know. Find private um, doctors. Do maybe do this out of state. I I don't know how you do that. Um, one last bill we're talking about is Senate Bill 125. This is another one that I'm really curious to see if it will uh, make it past crossover day. Is this bill would cap the rate that landlords are allowed to increase rent in any given year. So that's a big one. Um, this has been a big challenge during the pandemic where housing costs have skyrocketed, not only Purchasing, but also renting uh, and renting in particular has skyrocketed. So if you want to have a say on any of these bills, go to legis, L-E-G-I-S dot G-A dot gov. You'll be able to read the current version of the bills, see where they are in the legislative process, and you can get contact info for your state senator or your state representative and the contact info for the people who have introduced or co-signed the legislation. I encourage you to do that. It's very easy. They have staff. They're reading and listening to, you know, what the public is asking. And does that mean they'll do <laughs> what you... You read my mind. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I saw you over there. But at least you have made it known where you stand and your legislator knows where you are on the issue. The last one I'm going to talk about is Buckhead Cityhood. If this passes, a Buckhead residents would vote this year on whether they want to become their own city. We're taping on Monday and it already passed in committee today. So now it will go to the full Senate body. And then from there, it will go to the House. Marjorie Taylor Greene came out today in support of Buckhead cityhood. It's worth noting that not a single elected official Who's in favor and pushing these Buckhead cityhood bills actually call Buckhead home? Not a single one. Now, the craziest thing <clears throat> about this bill, so not only is there the bill to secede, to leave Atlanta, there's a complementary bill that basically would force the city to sell city assets to Buckhead at an insanely reduced price. Here's an example. One of the things that would happen is if this passes, the city would sell, be forced to sell fire stations in Buckhead for $5,000, or they could lease them from the city of Atlanta for $10 a year. Dang. A fire station. Um, Selling parkland, so Chastain Park, for example, which if you've never been, it's a, a park in Buckhead, the city would be forced to sell Chastain Park for $100 an acre. Now, if you try to buy a house in Chastain Park, <sighs> that's going to be a million dollars just for less than an acre of land in Chastain. And it goes on and on and on of all these things that would be the city of Atlanta would be forced to do. The other question is what will happen to the public safety training center if this split does indeed occur? So pay attention to Buckhead Cityhood. Um, this is one of those things that, you know, we'd hoped was not going to come up in the session. 
it's here and it has regressed further than it ever has. So TBD on what ultimately will happen. I imagine there are a lot of conversations right now between the lieutenant governor, between the speaker of the house, um, and, and, uh, mayor Andre Dickens. So we'll see. All right, Keith, we're going to talk about your favorite person who I just mentioned, President Kemp. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we joke on the pod that Governor Kemp is going to be president. Uh, so he made a move, a power move recently that's worth paying attention to. So in the last year of the Georgia General Assembly, they passed this rule that allowed for something called leadership committees, which means that they would be able to fundraise during the legislative session, which is usually a big no-no because it's an ethics challenge, an ethics issue. So Kemp made his Georgians First Leadership Committee, he's making it right now, the alternative to the state Republican Party. Between his campaign and that committee, which is a, the leadership committee, he raised $71 million last year. Damn. Now, Stacey raised more than him, and so did Warnock, um, but $71 million is a lot of money. So he has said that he is going to use, so he's continuing this leadership committee, and he's going to use it to challenge Democrats up and down the ballot in 2024. Now, what's crazy is that Democrats don't have a counter to Kemp. The highest ranking black Democrat in Georgia is Senator Warnock, but he's not, he doesn't have a political machine. He's not a political person. You've got Congresswoman Nakima Williams. She heads the Georgia Democratic Party. So at the local or state level, there isn't anyone filling the role who is a true counter to Governor Kemp. Maybe Jason Carter might come back in the mix now that everything's happening with his grandfather, former President Jimmy Carter. Uh, earlier this year, State Senator Elena Parent gave the Democratic response to Kemp's State of the State address. She is really sharp, but she's not a, funder, a fundraising juggernaut. So between now in 2024 and 2026, I don't know what Georgia Democrats are going to do if they even have a plan to counter Kemp and to counter the GOP push to come after Democratic district attorneys, Democratic solicitors general, Democratic school board members, all of those types of folks. Kemp's got like full, he's got the whole field and there's no one tackling him. It's going to be fascinating to see. One more thing happening at the state level slash Atlanta level. So y'all know that Atlanta is bidding to host a 2024 Democratic National Committee convention. So our competition is trying to come for us. Here's what New York Democrats said um, in a letter to President Biden. And I quote, following the reversal of Roe, New York has served as a national leader in the fight to preserve and protect women's rights promptly passing several legislative actions at the city and state levels. This starkly contrasts with states like Georgia, 
which quickly moved to allow one of the most restrictive, restrictive abortion laws in the nation. So this is a letter that was signed by Representative Jerry Nadler, Senate Majority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer, and House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, and then some other New York Democrats. There, yeah, all three of them are Democratic powerhouses and all in New York. So they have signed a letter asking for Biden to choose New York over Atlanta and other cities, but primarily Atlanta. Hmm. We'll see what happens. All right. Pivoting to some national news. Here's an interesting thing that I wonder for folks who have younger siblings or have kids this age, I'm curious to hear what y'all might think of this. Missouri Senator Josh Hawley is proposing the MATURE Act, which stands for the Making Age Verification Technology Uniform, Robust, and Effective (laughs) Act. (laughs) So this would require social media companies to not allow a person to make an account unless the platform has verified that the user is at least 16 years old. How would they verify it? by giving that company their date of birth and a government issued ID. So whether that's an ID, whether it's a birth certificate, but it would have to be a government issued form of a very clear proof of identification of your age. So imagine your kid signing up for Twitter, for Instagram, for Snap, for Be Real, for any of these. And if they are not of age or if they're of a certain age, they have to give that information. And if they're not of age, they can't use it unless they're using, unless someone is, you know, I don't know, you do like the fake ID thing maybe somehow. Yeah. So, well, I don't know where his legislation is going to go, but I do think this is going to become like, this is going to be more and more. This will be a discussion. I also, as a, I'm not a parent, but if, I would not want them to have, to be able to target my kid that clearly and distinctly and to track them from 16 through adulthood. All right, let's do an update on East Palestine. This is the Ohio uh, Norfolk Southern train derailment. Um, They're still dealing with a lot. A nurse at a clinic near the town said this, and I quote, they're complaining of burning in their lungs, na- nasal, nasal drainage, eyes burning, throat pains, unknown rashes that have started since they've been back to their homes. Norfolk Southern has offered $8 million in donations or financial assistance so far. This is up from the original $25,000 check that they gave. Um, this includes $3.4 million for local families. And then a million dollar community assistance fund. One thing I was thinking about is the people who own homes in East Palestine. So imagine like you have lost all equity in your house because you're not going to be able to resell it. Like this, this is the same thing like Flint. Yeah, this is when government should work on subsidies and be buying the homes at cost so you can get your money and leave if you need to leave relocation fees like it's a it's a disaster mm-hmm. like it's really a freaking national disaster and i don't yeah. understand how we just 
take care of like we send all that money to Ukraine just another check. And we can't take care of people like it's it's not even a big city. No, it's you know small. what I'm saying? We could take town, yeah. we could take care of that. Like it's not even that big of a city. So, you know, and then I feel like the government can get their money from Norfolk Southern on the back end, like sue them, all those high paid lawyers you got, and y'all battle that out. But right, right. now, cut the check. Yeah. You know. Well, Ohio Ohio Senator JD Vance is calling for a version of cut the check. So you remember during COVID PPP. So he's calling for a relief fund for residents and business owners, but PPP was focused on businesses. And so there needs to be something to your point also for residences. Another thing I was thinking about um, related to this is remember during the pandemic, how the CDC and the World Health Organization were giving either inaccurate or confusing information about how viral COVID was what type of mask to wear, when to wear a mask. And because of all of that, trust in these institutions has just plummeted. So I'm worried that that will happen with the Environmental Protection Agency as it relates to this issue. So originally, the EPA told folks that it was safe to return, but researchers researchers from Texas A&M have found that elevated levels of chemicals known to trigger eye and lung irritation, headaches, and other symptoms, as well as some that are known or suspected to cause cancer. This was reported in the Washington Post. So that there are elevated levels of chemicals that are problematic. I I would, I mean, you don't know what people's, what they're dealing with in the day-to-day, but I would imagine if you have the resources, you're not, you're not moving back. Another thing is what to do with all of the waste, right? The cleanup effort. So 15 truckloads of bad soil have been taken to a treatment facility in Michigan. There were other trucks that were um, taken to Michigan, but they ended up being returned. And then a facility in Texas accepted some of the liquid waste, but the governor of Ohio said that they are no longer accept the Texas site is no longer accepting any of the liquid waste. So basically these other politicians are like, mm, we don't want your toxic waste. Don't bring it here. Meanwhile, House Republicans are planning hearings on the Biden administration's response to the derailment, which is an important distinction. It's not on the derailment. It's not on Norfolk Southern's actions that led us to this point, but it's on what the Biden administration has done or not done since the situation occurred. Now, I think this is basically what they're going to, this is like a little bit of political background. If you remember the Benghazi hearings from 20, I think it was 15 that Republicans used to basically as much as they could kill Hillary's chances of running for president. I think they are going to do something similar and they're coming after transportation secretary Pete Buttigieg. And this is what they see as their opportunity to taint his image. So it makes it harder for him to run whether, whether it's 2024 or four years from now, the national transportation safety board, which is a federal agency, they were there within two hours of the derailment. Mm -hmm. So they were on, they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were on the federal government was on site 
at the time that it was supposed to be on site. I think there's a question about is the water, is the air really safe for folks to be there? And if it's not, then the government should not be telling them that it is. And then ultimately, Norfolk Southern CEO needs to be dragged in front of Congress. It has to be. This almost reminds me of the BP oil spill from like years ago. Yes, that's that's what it sounds like. And the I don't know if you remember, but the um the CEO was like he was upset by like all the media coverage and he was just like, I want my life back. <laughs> and he got in so much trouble for saying something so just ignorant. Yeah. People are like, Yeah, I want my life back too. Big business, man. Yeah. All right, a couple of things uh, that are worth talking about. We've mentioned student loan forgiveness. So Tuesday, the day the podcast airs, the Supreme Court will hear oral arguments on Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. We've talked about this a good bit on the pod. You can go back and listen to the archives. So the question at hand is, does the president of the United States have the power to eliminate student loan debt? Or is that a power that only Congress has? If you want to go to the Supreme Court's website, the case is Biden versus Nebraska. And then the other one is the U.S. Department of Education versus Brown, but not that one, not that Brown. So stay tuned on what will happen there. Another interesting case. And again, this is what I'm bringing up because we're all about looking out for people. And this is one that I don't think is going to get a ton of attention, but it should. This Supreme Court case is a hearing on defunding the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. You've never heard of this. It's basically a watchdog consumer rights agency. It was created um, by the Obama administration in the aftermath of the Great Recession. And you think about the number of people who lost their homes because they were in bad mortgages and all the things that happened. Uh, under the Great Recession. So the Fifth Circuit ruled that the funding mechanism for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was not valid. Their budget is via the Treasury. So if the ruling stands, the agency will have to receive its budget from Congress. So Congress would have to vote on funding the CFPB. So Congress, and I want to be clear that this means Republicans, want oversight of this agency, and they've been pushing for this since Obama created it, and they want the ability, like I said, to approve or not its budget. Just to give you a sense of why the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is something that is worth having, it's something that is clearly pro-consumer and not pro-corporate interests, here's a case that they settled this week. A company called RMK Financial falsely advertised that it was an official mortgage lender for military families. They used military seals in their advertising, even though they were not vetted by, nor were they approved by the U.S. military. So this company deceived borrowers about interest rates and about loan requirements because those borrowers thought that this was a military approved company and they used them. So the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau went after this company, and now they are being forced to shut down their mortgage business, and they have to pay a million-dollar fine. 
This is an example of why this is a worthwhile agency. So if Republicans are upset that there's not congressional oversight, then okay, like have a discussion about that, right? Figure out a way to address that. But for some, their goal is to defund it altogether. And this is like Obamacare, right? We're against it because this is a Obama policy. If you're against it, fine, but put up a plan that's counter to it, but still helps the people in need. And that has not happened. Um, one more Biden uh, story. Republicans have been beating Biden and the Democrats over the head about border security. Trump has talked a lot about this. Governor Abbott in Texas. It's just been across the board. We've had the whole thing of governors and mayors moving migrants from one place to the next. So Biden has issued a new rule that will go into effect in a couple months in May and expire in two years. So it's Republican-esque. It's not quite the same as Trump's Title 42 policy, but it's a bit similar. And so because of that, Democrats are not happy. Um, the gist of it is that it, if a migrant is fleeing persecution and crosses the border illegally between ports of entry or does not seek asylum in countries that they cross on the way to the United States, it increases the likelihood that they will be deported, this new ruling. So in order to avoid this, migrants would have to present themselves at an official port of entry and then they would be considered eligible. But then they would have to schedule um, in advance an appointment through the Customs and Border Protection app. If they don't schedule that appointment, then they get deported. So Biden's plan is, like I said, it's similar, but not quite the same. So his challenge is that whatever he does on the border, it's not going to be good enough for Republicans because next year is an election year and Republicans are trying to take back, you know, they're trying to take back uh, the presidency. And then Democrats are going to be mad and they're going to say, oh, this is too conservative. So I think he's SOL either way. And I'm, think that I'm curious to see if Democrats decide to come for him at all. I mean, I could see AOC types coming for him, but I imagine most rank and file Democrats won't. And he'll just get it on the Republican side. All right, on to our favorite segment, party poopers and party starters. Yeah, her go around singing the party pooper song. Every party needs a pooper. That's why we invited you. Party pooper. <laughs> party pooper. This week's party pooper. I, I don't know if I should make it the person or the people who are supporting the person. So let me tell you the background. The Lieutenant Governor, Burt Jones, who's a Republican, who could very well be the governor in four years after Kemp. <clears throat> yeah, he was an election denier. He was part of the, I think it was 16 people who had signed on to be alternate electors in the 2020 election. He ended up winning. And obviously he's the lieutenant governor. 
So since I think this started under Jeff Duncan, but maybe it was before, the lieutenant governor does a Black History Month event. So Bert Jones is continuing this tradition of having a Black History Month event. So he has two prominent members of the Georgia General Assembly, Black members of the Georgia General Assembly, who are co-hosting this event with him. He has prominent Democrats, including lobbyists and political consultants and business leaders, also on the host committee for this event, which is Tuesday, tomorrow, the last day of Black History Month. And when I saw the flyer, I was like, wait, what? Burt Jones, who's an election denier, is is doing this event and y'all are all signing on to co- to be a co-sponsor or to help or host or whatnot. And I feel like this is one of those things where it's like prominent black folks getting the okie doke. Like, oh, okay, I'll, I'm close to power. I'm going to have this, you know, my photo is going to be, you know, on such and such. It, j- it just seemed not very smart. It's like, what's the program going to be about? Yeah, what's the point? So over the course of this event, are y'all talking about something that Stacey actually brought up in in her campaign, the number of minority and black, particularly black folks who have access to state contracts? Are we talking about that? Are we talking about legislation, looking at all those Senate, House and Senate bills that are being passed that are protective of and support and uplift black people are we talking about education reform that helps black people are we talking about criminal justice reform that helps black people are we talking about ways to help make sure that black people have access to the american dream in georgia because if you're not talking about any of that then a black history month event does not matter and i can probably bet that that did not happen so that's my party pooper, whether it's, I mean, Bert's doing what a politician should do. You can't really knock him for that. But the black folks should be holding him to account. And now on to the party starter. Um, This is just something that I thought worth mentioning because it is always um, a point of contention. So the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit recently held that the First Amendment protects you if you are pulled over by the police and you live stream the incident. You live stream the exchange. Hopefully it's not an incident. In the ruling, the Fourth Circuit said, and I quote, Recording police encounters creates information that contributes to discussion about governmental affairs. So too does live streaming disseminate that information, often creating its own record. This was a case where a black man was pulled over, recorded the incident, live streamed it. The officer arrested him for doing so, and he sued and said it was his First Amendment right. Um... Now, the other part of that is any harm or distress that he received as a result of that, he can't sue the officer for. 
<clears throat> yeah, this is a. Uh, it's called qualified immunity. This is. Uh, oh, this falls falls outside of just killing somebody. Right. You get this is just immunity across yeah, the board. Yeah, across the board. Mm, mm, see, I didn't. Yeah. Didn't know that. But it's a big deal that the Court of Appeals uh, for the Fourth Cir Circuit did uphold and say that you do have a First Amendment right to protect um, yourself and record an exchange with a law enforcement officer if you're pulled over uh, by the police. So I think that's great. Something that folks should be mindful of and pay attention to and know your rights across the board. All right, y'all, that is today's show. If there were times where it sounded like I was about to cry, I promise I wasn't. I'm just, I still have a little bit of a cough. And so my voice is a little shaky, but uh, it's all good. Until next time, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to Where to Party At. We will update you next week on some of these bills that we talked about. Um, we'll see what the heck happens with Buckhead, all this other stuff. I'm sure something's going to happen in Atlanta politics. That's worth talking about as well. Until next time, stay tuned to Where to Party At. <laughs>